So you can open your Bibles to page 1, to Genesis chapter 1. We're in a series called Worldview, Understanding God, Ourselves, and the World Around Us. We just started this series last month. If you weren't here with us, a worldview is a basic lens through which we view everything. A worldview asks fundamental questions. Why are we here? Where did we come from? What is our purpose of our life? Is there a God? Is there a difference between right and wrong? How do we know what it is? A worldview gives us a a, a basic map to understand how to think and to live. And every day, man, we're hearing people's views and what they believe. And we're having to make decisions every day about what what am I going to do? Decisions about right versus wrong, moral decisions, decisions on how do I think about responding to somebody and how they're choosing to live their life. So last month, we talked about where did we come from, and we introduced this series by talking about how we need a God-centered worldview, how God is always our ultimate frame of reference. And we landed last month saying we have to ask the question, as Christians, what does God say about that? If we're going to have a God-centered worldview, we have to start by asking the question, what does God say about that? And this month, our big worldview question is, who are we? So obviously, it's connected to what we talked about last month. Where did we come from? And now we're going to progress a little bit and ask the question, who are we and why are we here? So we know God created us. We talked about that last time. But why are we here? What's the purpose? What's the purpose behind God creating us? And worldview, Christianity as a worldview, begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And very quickly, in Genesis chapter 1, it tells us why we are here. So look with me down at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. It says, And then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then drop down to verse 31. Okay, after all this, after, after these six days of creation, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. What God made was very good. We're going to have three points tonight. If you're taking notes, you should be on the screen. And we're going to refute some false worldviews like we did last month along the way as we go. Point number one, there is a God and we're not him. And the point of this is to show in Genesis chapter 1 how there is a distinction between the creator God and his creation. And there are worldviews that that don't believe in this distinction. Pantheism is very popular today, which kind of talks about, believes there is this higher power and everything is a part of it. And we become of that power when we die. And it's what we talked about last time is new spirituality, also known as pantheism. 
You see it, we talked about last month in Star Wars, talking about the force, you know, that it's in everything and moves through everything. And when you die, you become a part of that force, this energy field that, that has really no intention or purpose. It's just kind of out there in the universe. That's pantheism. Or also, if anyone has seen the movie Avatar, it promotes this as well, where we're all connected and we're all connected to Mother Earth, you know, kind of this um, viewpoint that God is, is in everything, all this material stuff. And basically, uh, at my worldview class, we talked about this. If you follow that train of thought, what basically, what that means, pantheism means, is you are a part of God, which basically means you are God. And you see what they're doing. They're removing this distinction between creator and creation. So we believe there is a God and we're not him. There is a distinction between the creator God and his creation. God alone is unlimited. We are limited. He is sovereign over everything that he has made. He rules over everything he has made. We are restricted. He is all-knowing. He knows everything going on in his creation, every detail, even our hearts and our thoughts. We have limited knowledge. He is all-powerful, can do anything he wants with his creation, while we are weak and frail. One of the problems the Bible tells us is that we get this distinction wrong, this creator-creation distinction. Romans 1 talks about when we refuse to honor God and give thanks to God, then, then we become fools. We begin, Romans 1 says, worshiping created things. So we take things that are in creation, not the creator, and we begin to worship those things because God created us to worship. He made us in his image and he created us to worship, to, to be amazed by things and marvel at things. And when we're not worshiping our creator God, there is a vacuum in our soul where we're just looking for what to worship. And if we're not worshiping God, what happens is we begin, we begin worshiping these created things, which is called idolatry. And I think today, as I've thought about this, the idol we are tempted to worship the most is ourselves. The part of creation that we are most tempted to be in awe of and love and praise and glorify and magnify is ourselves, which is idolatry. Carl Truman says that we live in a world where we think reality is something that we can manipulate according to our own wills and desires. He recently wrote a book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, which is not a book for the faint of heart. But in the book, he's trying to answer this question. He, he heard this person say this, and he, he's trying to figure out how this statement is a coherent and meaningful statement today. And the statement he's looking at in the book is, I am a woman trapped in a man's body. And he's kind of going through, how did we get to a place in our culture and society where someone makes that statement, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, and that is, coherent and meaningful to us and the thrust of what he says in his book is basically we've made our feelings our God we decided that we are going to manipulate things according to our desire and will 
They are what we obey, our feelings. What we think is true, where we find our reality is inside of us what we feel. And what, what's happening is exactly what Romans 1 says. We're rejecting the Creator God. We're saying, you know, I, I don't believe in how you've created me. I don't like how you've created me. And so I'm going to manipulate my will to get what I want, to, make, to decide for myself what is true. One of the main points of the Bible is to show God is the Creator. God decides reality. God decides truth. God decides what is right and wrong. And the Bible tells us that God is righteous and just and true and holy. So we can trust His decisions. And what God says is good, we can trust this is good because God is righteous. And the implication of there is a God and we're not Him, the, the, the implication of this creator-creation distinction is we are accountable to God for how we live. God decides what is right and wrong, not us or popular opinion or a majority of people. And there's this lie today that we can decide what's right and wrong for ourselves. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. That's kind of the only restriction they put on it. And that is actually right now kind of not always in place. You can't hurt anybody else unless certain things take place and then you can hurt them. But there's a lie today that, that we get to determine what is right and what is wrong. It's called moral relativism. Okay, We're going to talk about that quite a bit in our worldview series. Moral relativism. And the way you see it is people will say things like this. They'll say, well, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. Meaning that there's different truths. We have different realities, which we know is not true biblically. Or they'll say, what's right for you might not be right for me. Or everyone has to decide for themselves what's right. And they're placing authority in themselves to make moral decisions and to decide what is right and what is wrong. It's moral relativism. A few years ago, pollster George Barna documented that only 22% of adults in America and only 6% of teenagers affirmed the idea of moral absolutes, that there are unchanging moral truths. Only 6% of teenagers thought there were moral absolutes, and it wasn't he said that the sad thing was there wasn't a big difference among Christian teens. It was only 10%. Only one out of 10 thought there were moral absolutes. Moral relativism believes that morals are like taste. It's like your, your favorite flavor of ice cream. You know, they, they, they say like, well, it's just different for everybody, you know, like, uh, I might be a mint chocolate chip man, and you may be a cookies and cream man, you know, but we just have different, different morals. We're all a little different. That's not true. What the Bible says is God is the creator, and God decides. He's, he's the one who decides. He made us. He's God. He reigns and rules, and God's the one who decides. And when God says something is right or wrong, that's a moral absolute so if anyone asks you, do you believe in moral absolutes? You say, yes, I do. And you will make that 10% hopefully go up and up. And you know what's sad today is so many movies, I thought about this, the, the whole plot line of the movie is that the, the main character is stifled or 
you know, that they're just held back by these rules of their parents, not letting them live their dreams or do whatever they want. And they have to, to break free of these rules and be their true selves and be who they really are. And I told you, I'm going to ruin some movies for you during the series. And I hate to do this for you, but Moana is a prime example of moral relativism. You're welcome. Okay, I just ruined it for you. The movie... Basically, if you watch the movie, it's pantheism mixed with moral relativism, okay? So that, you're just going to turn it on, you're going to be like, it's pantheism with moral relativism. Why did you ruin this movie for me? But that's what it is. The whole point of the movie is you have to look within yourself to find your true identity and purpose, even if it means breaking all the rules you have to decide. I already told you that's one of the main points of Frozen, so I already ruined that movie back in November, but there's a lot of movies where that's the storyline is the true me and the true person, here's who I really am, and there's these rules, and these other people are trying to impose what they want on me, and I need to break free and be who I truly am. There's a worldview behind that, and it's saying I get to decide who I am. I get to decide what's right and wrong. I don't have anybody else imposing on me any restrictions on who I am. I heard one author say, this is the follow your heart, believe in yourself, chase your dreams, Disney gospel. And I thought that is so true. And just so you know, we're going after follow your heart next month, okay? Because when you study the Bible, the heart is not the most reliable thing to follow. We're going to learn. That's the Disney gospel. The Disney gospel is you are the creator of your identity. You are free, even obligated, to be whomever or whatever makes you feel good, no matter what anyone else says. Listen, that doesn't line up with God's word. Because God gets to say what he wants. He gets to tell us whatever he wants, and we have to come under authority. Our identity is not in here. Our identity is found in here, what God says it is. Bible begins with you were created by God. You are not God, and you are under his authority, and you will be held accountable to how you do that. Now, we're going to talk a lot more about this next month when we talk about what went wrong with the world. But for now, you need to know we're not autonomous. We don't get to decide right from wrong, and we are accountable to our creator. Point number two, we're not God, but we are made in his image. Okay, that's what we saw in our text in Genesis chapter one. God made us in his image, which means that as Christians, we believe that human beings are the crown of creation, the product of divine design, not a cosmic accident. And we are the object of divine affection and intention. God made us with a purpose. No one here, it's no accident that you are the family you're in, that you are in this church today. You have been designed by God. And every single person in this room, every single person in this world has value because the image of God is in them. That's why we believe in the sanctity of all human life. We talked last month about naturalism and naturalists and secularists, how they don't believe in God, and therefore they think that we are cosmic accidents of chance and time. 
which means that we have no basis for treating anybody with dignity or respect because we're all just cosmic accidents. And it makes no sense to me when naturalists or secularists try to impose on us these morals when you go, why would you care if you just think we're accidents? But as Christians, we do care. We do care how we treat people and we love people and we should value every person. In 1920, two German professors coined a German phrase, which I cannot pronounce in German, but translated, they created this idea, this phrase, which means life unworthy of life. Okay, four words. It was really just two German words. Life unworthy of life. And what they meant by that is that there's certain people, and they were really talking about infants and, and, and children, certain people who are so disabled that they have no benefit to society they just drain resources they don't contribute to anything and so they're a life unworthy of life and they argued that the government should be able to end those lives and they took that idea to a leader a young leader of germany named adolf hitler Basically, they had a utilitarian view of life. Your value is based on what you contribute to society. So if you are elderly or disabled or you're a criminal, you have no value to society, so you are not worthy to have a life. By the way, this is a communist view of life. Communism is really structured in secularism, and it has the same view of life. Your only value is what you contribute to the common good of society. So these German professors, along with Adolf Hitler, began teaching life unworthy of life. And eventually, that is the idea that grew into the Holocaust, where the Nazis murdered six million Jews. And it started with children. It started in Germany with 5,000 children with disabilities were killed in German hospitals between 1939 and 1945. And then it began to go towards adults. And then prisoners. They began killing prisoners. And finally, the Jews. It, this, this is a great example of why worldviews matter. What you believe matters. If you believe that there is a life unworthy of life, then you have no problem ending that life because it doesn't fit in your worldview of building up your society towards your ends. Slogans and words matter. They have consequences. Worldviews have consequences. Six million Jews lost their lives because of an idea that started with two German professors. They're slogans today. I see them all the, all the time. The first time. The first thing I thought of when I read Life Unworthy of Life is I thought of the slogan, you've probably seen it, my body, my choice. Listen, there's a worldview behind that slogan that you have to discern what the Bible says about that. Slogans matter, words matter, worldviews matter. And so the implication of point two here is the sanctity of all lives. God is our creator. We're not God. We are creation. But as humans, we are created in the image of God. And every single person's life matters because it's made in the image of God. Therefore, we treat every single person we meet with dignity and respect. 
The World Health Organization came out with a study this week from 161 countries about the prevalence of violence against women. And their report, which has been going on for years, it's a very extensive study across 161 countries. This is staggering. Is one out of every three women in this world experience physical or sexual violence of some kind. One out of three are mistreated and not treated with respect and dignity. And that is wrong. Because Genesis 1, the first page of our Bible, tells us that God created us in His image. Male and female, He created them. Which means every person we meet, every man and every woman, is made in the image of God, bears the likeness of God, and should be treated with dignity and respect. Von Roberts says this. He says, There is no excuse for sexism, racism, snobbery, he's British, so I think snobbery is like a British word, you know, snobbery or bullying. Every person we encounter, from king to cleaner, prime minister to prisoner, and judge to janitor, demands our respect. And I love what he applies. He says, we are all guilty of attitudes and actions which demean others, and we must repent. Because it's not living in line with our worldview. Life is a gift from God. And every single person, regardless of color or ethnicity or age or gender or disability or economic status, should be treated as an image bearer of God. You see why worldviews matter. If you, if you own this Christian biblical worldview, it affects how you treat and how you look at every single person. And it's what Jesus came to do. He came to save us from our sins and to change our hearts so that we love others and we see them the way God sees them as image bearers made in his image, okay? So every person should be treated with dignity and respect. Point number three, God decides what our purpose is, why he created us. We don't have to decide why we're here and what our purpose is. We don't have to discover it. We don't have to go traveling and look for it. God tells us in his word why he made us. When our little kids, uh, when our, my kids were growing up, we had the, the little yellow book, the catechism book that's in the bookstore. Have any of you guys done this little book? It's really awesome. So it just kind of has these real simple questions. Uh, who made you? Who made you guys? <laughs> God. That's how they did it when they were kids too. God. Thanks, Lily. Who made you? God. Why did God make you? To glorify Him and enjoy Him. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make all things? For His glory. Yay! And we would clap and cheer and then we'd give Him dessert. You know, good job. And here's some cake for you. Great job. But that's, it's, it's crazy because those questions, that little catechism, those little questions, that's worldview. I mean, just getting those first four questions would serve so many people in our world. Who made you? God. Why did God make you? To glorify Him and enjoy Him. That's our purpose connected to where we came from. It's our two first messages and the first two questions of a little kid's catechism. And it's crazy how I, want you, I just want you to own that. Who made you? God. Why did God make you? God made me to glorify Him. And enjoy Him. That's my purpose. That's why I exist. That's why I'm here. 
That's why God designed me and made me as I am to glorify him and enjoy him. A recent survey of children under 10 asked the children this question, what do you think is the very best thing in the world? Number one answer among children under 10, being a celebrity. That sounds like a nightmare. They think that's the very best thing in the world. Number two, best thing in the world. Second best thing in the world, good looks. I'm 0 for 2. Man, life stinks, you know? Number three, being a celebrity, good looks. Third best thing in the world, being rich. I read that and I thought, man, there really is nothing new under the sun. I mean, that's exactly what Solomon went looking for for satisfaction and joy. Solomon said, where's their joy to be found? He went looking at, at, you know, good looks, being a celebrity, riches, and what Solomon says, it's vanity. None of it provides joy. And what stuck out to me about these children under 10, what they think is the best thing in the world is it was all about them, right? It was all about I want to be a celebrity. I want to be rich. I want to have good looks. It was all about them. The chief end of man, the purpose of man, why God created us is for His glory. It's to glorify Him and enjoy Him. That's that's your goal in all of life. That's what you're meant to do. School for the glory of God and sports for the glory of God. Not to exalt yourself. Friendships for the glory of God. It's not ultimately about us and when we make friendships all about us and what we get we begin to distort them friendships are for the glory of God chores for the glory of God we obey mom and dad for the glory of God we work for the glory of God when we do all these things in faith and because we're created by God because we can answer the question who made me God did why to glorify him and enjoy him I can walk into my day And everything I do, I can think, I want to do this for the glory of God. We can eat and drink and fellowship and play and and have friendships and go on hikes and go to school. We can do everything. We can work all week long doing things for the glory of God. But, But to do that, you have to see that you're not the center of the universe. Okay, This is an implication of our worldview that God decides our purpose so we are not the center of the universe. One of the biggest mistakes in our culture today is we've lost God as the creator and instead of making much of Him, we live in a culture that makes much of ourselves. We've become man-centered rather than God-centered. And there's a term for this, not a biblical term, but it's a term our culture uses, so at least it recognizes this. The term is narcissism. Which comes from a Greek myth about a hunter named Narcissus who fell in love with his own reflection. I think this is a great, this is obviously, it's a myth. It's a Greek myth. It's not a true story. But it is very illustrative, I found. So Narcissus was a very handsome man, but he didn't know how good looking he was. You know, he had the good looks. And it says that once during the summer, he was getting thirsty after hunting, And so he went to a pool where he leaned to get some water and he saw his reflection in the pool. And he didn't realize that it was his own reflection, but he realized how good looking this person was. And so Narcissus fell in love with himself and his own image. 
And he stayed there admiring himself until he died. I just think, man, that's like a good illustration for our society today. There was a book that came out not too long ago called The Narcissism Epidemic. And the authors lay the feet of blame, not at at necessarily all the teens who are behaving this way, but they really blame the parents. And I think there's something to this. And they blame coaches. And they say, these kids have grown up watching shows and being told by everyone, you're so special. You're so special, you know, and, and, there's, and they're given trophies for, for not doing anything. And they're given A's, even if they don't earn them, you know. They're just told they're so special. And they become man-centered. Their eyes aren't taken off themselves and placed on God. And the authors of this book said it's really morphing into a social problem because this man-centeredness leads to vanity and materialism and uniqueness, thinking we're better than everyone else. It leads to relationship troubles. Imagine that. Someone loving themselves, having relationship troubles, you know. It leads to entitlement. They even said it leads into self-centered volunteering. Where all these people are doing good things, but they're doing them just to be seen by others and to take a, a picture and post the good things they do so everyone can see how great they are. So they're not really serving others. They're really just doing it to show how great they are. I read this article Uh, Elizabeth told me about this yesterday, uh, about Knoxville. This was in the Knox News last week, and the title of the article is Embrace Your Inner Influencer at Two Selfie Studios Opening in Knoxville This Spring. It says, Wish there was a place where you could selfie to your heart's content without passerby, poor lighting, or judging eyes. Everyone from Instagram influencers to wedding parties can soon visit two spots in Knoxville that embrace selfies by the dozen. The two places are like two blocks from each other. Selfish Knoxville, that's the name of it. Selfish Knoxville and the Knox Selfie Lab. And one of the, one of the places even has a, uh, a whole pit full of little colorful balls. And they said it's a great way to get slow-mo shots of yourself throwing balls and just celebrating, you know. And I was like, this is sad. Oh my goodness. Now listen, don't, I'm not saying taking a selfie is wrong. I'm getting really close to saying that, but the Bible doesn't say that. So I'm not going to say taking a selfie is wrong, but you have to see. I mean, you have to see. We live in a culture of self-promotion self-exaltation, self-love that is not in line with a Christian worldview. I mean, who made you God? I'm accountable to God. I'm not God. I'm a creation. I'm made in God's image. God has given me things to do and called me who I am to be. He tells me who I am. He creates us male and female. He creates us so God decides our gender. God decides what's right from wrong. He tells us in his word. He gives us a conscience to know right from wrong. I'm under his authority. And then he tells me my life, the purpose of my life, is not to make much of myself, but to make much of him and glorify him in everything I do. So so my purpose in life is to worship God and magnify God and serve God and obey God and love God. It's not to promote myself and, and, and show others how great I am. And it's just so sad, isn't it? We have all this technology and we use it to try to make ourselves look 
great. It's narcissistic. It's pitiful. It's like narcissists. We just, we're, we're falling in love with our own image. That's what's happening today. Let's finish with this. This is John Piper. John Piper says, The sad thing is that a radically man-centered view of love. Hear this. This is, this is kind of a twist on this self-centeredness. A radically man-centered view of love permeates our culture and our churches. From the time they can toddle, we teach our children that feeling loved means feeling made much of. It's a very important point. We have built whole educational philosophies around this view of love. Curricula, parenting skills, motivational strategies, therapeutic models, and selling techniques. Most modern people can scarcely imagine an alternative understanding of feeling loved other than feeling made much of. If you don't make much of me, you're not loving me. Listen, God didn't create us to make much of us. He created us in His image to make much of Him. That's what love is. It's to make much of God. That is the definition of love, not Oh, you have to love me and make much of me. That is such a distortion. It's just, it's man-centered rather than God-centered. God alone is worthy of praise. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. It's a great verse to memorize, okay? You are not your own. You're not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Remember that slogan I mentioned? My body, my choice. 1 Corinthians 6, God's word. God says you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Listen, the good news of the gospel. It says in verse 20 there, you were bought with a price. The good news of the gospel is Christ has come to set us free from our sin, our love of ourselves. He set us free from wanting to manipulate everything to our will, wanting everybody to exalt us and to love us. And what's amazing is Jesus, his whole life, what Jesus was about was about the glory of God. He was about loving and serving others. He never looked down on others. He never demeaned them and mistreated them. He never mistreated women, you know. He never mistreated those who were outcasts. He loved them. He saw them as, as people made in the image of God. He always obeyed God perfectly. He never did anything immoral or anything wrong. And even though he was the Son of God, God incarnate, he didn't exalt himself, but he always drew attention to the Father and glorified the Father. He did all of that for you and me. And when he died on the cross, he took all of our self-love and all of our self-exaltation, all of our self-promotion, and he bore the wrath of God for that. And then he gives us his righteousness. And so God looks at us as if we've always obeyed and we've always uh, loved others and loved God with all of our hearts. And he changes our hearts and he sets us free for two main reasons, so that we can love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we can love others more than ourselves. Two great commands Jesus gives us, which shows us how to live out our worldview. Okay, we're not God. 
We're created in the image of God. God decides our purpose and He tells us clearly, you're made to love Him, enjoy Him, enjoy God. And you're made to love others. And we're going to spend a few minutes now talking about these three points. Uh, I have some discussion questions. Um, Let me pray for us and then we'll dive into a little time of discussion. Father, I thank you for your word. And I know during the series we're hitting some hard topics that can be hard to always grasp and get our mind around. But I pray for these teens here tonight. I pray that there would just be a few points, a few simple things from your word, from what I've said tonight, that you would write on their hearts. That they would believe them and own them. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come uh, during our discussion time and as we sing and throughout the rest of this week. And I pray for these teens. They would think about these things. And they would have a lens where they view the world around them through your word and your will and by the power of your spirit, Lord. And I pray for anyone here who's never repented of their sins. If they were convicted of anything tonight, Lord, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So I pray they would turn from those things and they would once again flee to Jesus Christ and receive the forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we have discussion time uh, with your family. If your family's not here, you can grab a member of our A-team. You can grab Seth and Nyla or James and Catherine who are here tonight or Bria's over there. Or any one of them, you can grab them. So, Uh, Three things. Are there areas you see in your life or in our culture where we want to decide what is right and wrong rather than obeying what God says is right and wrong? So moral absolutes. God decides. Number two, how can you grow in seeing all people as made in the image of God? Are there any people you are tempted to look down on as inferior to yourself, are there times you have demeaned others that you need to repent of? And then number three, are there any ways you are convicted of making yourself the center of the universe rather than God? How can you grow in drawing attention to God rather than yourself? So we've got about 10 minutes for discussion, and then uh, James is going to come lead us in a song after about 10 minutes.